In the season of Easter, I want to welcome you to worship at First United Methodist Church in Pasadena, California. I'm Sandra Olwine and I serve as pastor here. And along with our staff and the entire congregation, we hope that this hour will inspire you for joyful and transformative living in the world. Now we give thanks for the increasing availability of COVID-19 vaccinations and look forward to being able to gather for in-person worship soon. In a commitment to the safety of all of our members and the larger community though, we continue to exercise patience, trusting that the Spirit will continue to bind us together even as we remain physically distanced from one another in worship. So in the hope, power, and promise of resurrection, let us turn our hearts to prayer, praise, and proclamation. On the sixth Sunday of Easter, Alleluia's continue to fill our lives as we give thanks for the good gifts of God in our lives. In praise, then, will you join us in the call to worship? Come, sing a new song to God. Remember all the times full of wonder God has already saved us. Plug in the keyboard, tune up those guitars, try out the drums. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth. Open the windows, listen to the choirs outdoors, feathered and furred. Let the hills sing together for joy. For God is not done doing wonders. God is coming to set everything right. Sing a new song to God.
We open our lives to God's presence as we share together in prayer. In anticipation that God is wherever we are, will you join me in the prayer of the day? You raise your hand and gently begin the concerto of creation. Birds carry the melody while stars keep the beat. Mountains dance in merriment and little children clap their hands with joy. Love's composer, our new songs are lifted to you. The old, old song is made new in our hearts. Christ is risen. Sing Alleluia. You invite us to sing to a world deafened by despair and haunted by the tunes of fear. Lord of the dance, our new songs are lifted to you. Believing we cannot carry a tune, we hesitate to join in the chorus of praise sung by all creation. So you softly and gently hum the melody in our hearts until they burst with you, raising a rousing chorus of amazing grace. Music making spirit, our new songs are lifted to you. Every song, old and new, is offered to you. God in community, holy in one. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today as we celebrate all of our mothers, parents, and caretakers in our lives. The people who take care of us. Moms, dads, grandmothers, aunts, friends are important people. We all know that, of course. But sometimes it seems as though the important work women have done throughout history is a little lost, a little ignored. Even in our Bible stories, we sometimes have to search out the lessons Bible's women teach us, but they are there, woven in between the pages of sometimes splashier stories of men who often headline our Bible stories. Today is a day to put the spotlight on women, especially women in the Bible. What they teach us, how their creativity, patience, courage, and love shape those who have gone before us, and how their lives continue to shape us today. What we learn from them helps us shine in our world today. these women let's find out it's time to let their light shine i'm sarah who waited god told us a child would come but i was old it was 
hard to believe I laughed at God's promise. Yet I waited, Abraham and I waited together. And one day, in God's time, not my time, my baby was born, just as God said. Just as God promised, I learned to trust God. I am Rebecca, who believed that God had a plan for my life. I wasn't sure what it was, but when Eliezer came to that well and I gave him water, I knew that it was part of God's plan. It was frightening to leave home with strangers, a new life, but I had faith to go to a new land, meet new people, and make a family. I had to give up my heart to God and trust. I'm Jochebed, who wondered how God could have let so many bad things happen to our people, and yet he gave me a beautiful baby boy. How was I to take care of him with the Pharaoh's soldiers marching and spying on us? But I found that even in those troubled times, God was there to calm my fears. With God's help, I came up with a plan to keep Moses safe, and I learned that my small plan was part of God's grand plan for both Moses and me. Sometimes it was hard to believe, but I learned through the power of prayer to trust God.
Samson's mother. I wanted a child. God's messenger told me I would be blessed, but he told me a strange thing. That I should not cut Samson's hair because he would be a man of God. I didn't understand why. Why shouldn't I cut Samson's hair? But I knew I must do as God told me. I prayed for justice and learned to trust God. I am Hannah who kept my promise. I so wanted a child, but I was old and it seemed hopeless. But I prayed to God and told him that if I had a child, I would dedicate that child to him. It was a hard promise to make, but still I prayed and prayed and God guided me. When I took Samuel, he was so small. It was hard to put everything into God's hands. Still, I prayed and sought God's guidance. I learned I must trust God. And so it was that Samuel grew to be the leader of the people. to find your way when there's trouble when worry burns where can you do where can you turn pray 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 trouble life is great pray 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 God to find your way Let's do it one more time. And Abigail, who found the courage to make peace. When David came to our land and asked for food for his men, my husband refused. This was contrary to custom and David was angry. What was I to do? I put myself in God's hands. I gave the man food. Anger cooled and there was peace. God gave me courage. I learned to trust God. I'm Esther, who had to be brave to save my people. I was young. It was such a surprise when the king chose me to be his wife. Who was I to be queen? It was so unexpected, but then I saw how God could use me. By being queen, I had an opportunity to help my people. One of the king's men, Haman, told the king that the Jews were a threat and should be killed. I was frightened, but I understood that God was knocking on my door, telling me I was ready to stand up for my people. With God's help, I opened that door and stood up for my people. With God's guidance, my people were saved. It was a great test of my faith, and I had to trust God.
These women of the Bible faced challenges, but trusted God to guide them. They learned many lessons about faith that they shared with others and that we can learn from today. God puts many special people in our lives today and they too teach us important lessons. They teach us how to get along each day, how to cook, how to clean, how to be safe. They teach us rules to live by, to believe in ourselves, and how to treat others through the love they give us. They share God's love for us and teach us to trust God. Even when times seem tough, they teach us as we grow to let our light shine in the world. My mommy teaches me how to play. My mama teaches me how to be kind. She also teaches me math. What have your parents taught you? How to do math faster on extra math and how to do lots of math to do it like quicker without counting my fingers and to understand how to read. Teach me, I should focus on the thing I am doing. My mom teaches me to be kind and loving and helps me with fencing. You're the best, mom. Women, women working hard each day. each day. They are the stars in our lives whose love, care, teaching enable us to shine.
We turn our attention to the scripture of the day. Listen for the word of God as conveyed through the first letter of John, the fifth chapter, verses one through six. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey God's commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one that testifies, for the Spirit is the truth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Diane, I know that these last three weeks have been just so meaningful for the congregation and I'm so grateful. Um, you know, as you moved into these final, these final descriptors, I love this the sense of the way or way and presence. First two of a friend and, and a teacher are very relatable because they're just sort of human categories that we all have in our lives. Uh, the last week was really sort of the theological heavyweight uh, terms of uh, Savior and Lord. Way and presence, um, are they're more nebulous, they're, they're, they're more mysterious, and yet such important terms. So let's just talk about, you know, the we know that early Christians, of course, before they were called Christians, were people of the way, which seems like an invitation to a journey, right? To be on a journey, it's a, not so much about a person, about, about being, being a certain way in the world, which was very, seemed very open and invitational, and it became very narrow in some places, right? And became almost a, a litmus test, you know? Jesus is the way and the only way, and if you don't follow this way, and it's whatever that way is, is how I define the way. Um, uh, what what can, can we do by freeing Jesus up for some of those confusions on that particular important term? I, I, I really appreciate the way you put these two together and you say they're, they're kind of nebulous. Well, it's interesting because they're both also very biblical <laughs> because Jesus does say, actually, I am the way. And um, the other one, presence, uh, just to kind of jump there for a second as we frame this up, um, is Jesus says, well, lo, I am with you even till the end, uh, ends of the earth. And so it's like, oh, well, that's, that's something, you know, <laughs> how's that work? Jesus is a presence with us all the time. So, so both of these uh, images actually come out of uh, different parts of gospel understanding. Way is pretty fraught i because that verse itself i am the way the truth the light no one comes to the father except by me i actually talk about at the beginning of the chapter an experience that i had where i wanted i was leading a retreat and i i you know i hate the way people jam that verse all you know they they just jam it all together and the, it, how it comes out is jesus says i am the way the truth and the light and then all those beautiful things the way the truth the life you get to the second half of the verse and it almost seems like every time you read the verse, someone will emphasize the second half of the verse, except there is no one comes to the father except by me. 
all the beauty of the first half of the verse is sort of lost in the 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 what sounds like a very exclusive excluding second half of the verse and and so here i was at this retreat and I wanted just the retreat to be about Jesus's way, Jesus's truth, and Jesus's life and what that meant. So I asked the person who was reading scripture for the, the little worship service to just read the first half of the verse. She got up and she read the whole verse. I, I Then I got up to preach and I said, oh, that's so funny, you know, because I specifically asked that just the first half of the verse be, be read. I guess you didn't, get, and I looked at her, it was a small group, and I, I guess you didn't get the you know, my request. And she, she looks at me, she goes, oh no, I got it. <laughs> and she purposefully just went ahead and read the whole verse. She says, because the first half doesn't make any sense without the second. And that taught me something, you know, about how we put these interpretational sort of modes in our brain. And it's very hard for people to get away from them. The, what I do at the, that part of the chapter is take this verse where, G, where Jesus says, I am the way. And I try to take the air out of the tires of exclusion that are around that. That verse was not included in that section of scripture because the disciples were worried about the eternal fate of Buddhists. You know, they're, that's just not what's happening there. The disciples are worried about themselves is that they think that Jesus is, something's going wrong with this and that Jesus is in trouble and they're clearly all under threat and they're afraid he's going to run away or he's going to get killed or he's going to go to jail or something's going to happen. And so they begin asking him all these questions and Jesus is trying to comfort them. And as part of that narrative of comfort, um, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And so when you, you get the context right, is that Jesus is reminding them, you know, I'm not going anywhere, even if my body's not here, you know, the way, the truth, the life, these things are going to remain for you. And then the, the word except doesn't become an issue about exclusion. It's like, well, you wouldn't know this. You wouldn't understand all this except that I've come and I've been with you for these last three years and I've taught you and, and now, you know, so you shouldn't be afraid. It's, it's a little like, um, you know, in English, when we use the word accept, um, we'd say, we'd say something like, oh, I couldn't get out of the room, out of the room, except that the door was unlocked. And when you think about that, it doesn't mean exclusion. Um, that's the way we use the word accept, which shows us something is possible. I, I would feel lousy, except that my neighbor brought me some chicken soup to help give me, you know, cheer me up for my cold. And, and so that's the way I think that the word accept is being used in that, that passage. And I'm not the only person who knows a little bit about Greek or, or um, New Testament scholarship to, to say that there are several really good commentaries on the gospel of John that understand that verse in exactly that way. And so to open the, this phrase up about I am the way um, is not meaning that, you know, if you hang a sign outside of First United Methodist in Pasadena uh, that says, Jesus says, I am the way, uh, that you're condemning the Jews down the street to hell. That's not what's happening here. And for Christians to really get that, what does it mean to say that you're on the way with Jesus or that Jesus gives us a way, I think is um, pretty important um, in, in our own time and in our cultural context. Because we have a lot to say uh, that criticizes, I think, rightly, 
the misinterpretation of that verse. Yeah, I mean, for Christians to discover the, the way of Christ in the world seems pretty critical, right? Well, it's always been critical, but it's particularly critical in our own context in the United States right now. Um, with all the things we've talked about over these last few weeks of this, just that are facing us as a people. Like I said earlier in this in these sessions, I live outside of Washington, D.C. I cannot get my mind off of the pictures from the insurrection on January 6th. And one of the main photographs of that set of events has a huge Jesus sign in the foreground. And so we're at this this moment in our 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 world where what is the way of Jesus? Is it going to a political capital and laying siege on it violently and killing people? I mean that's what they're claiming that that, that that's the way that Jesus directed them to be. Um, or is it the people who are, um, you know, breaking the laws at the, the, the border in order to make sure that those who are crossing uh, don't die in the desert from thirst? Um, so both of those are, are law-breaking. Uh, both of those are going against uh, something that's on the books that the government doesn't want you to do. Um, but to put Jesus' name around both of them uh, would be incorrect biblically. And we have to be able to really sort that out and make those points very strongly. It's not the same thing. Um, it's not the same kind of law breaking. One is for, one is really for love. And the other one, it's not about love. It's really about, it's really about power. And it's about that, uh, we were talking about the hierarchy of lordship last week, you know, so that's the idea of the way being structured into a hierarchy of power and maintaining a particular way of life um, that's seen to be quote unquote Christian. Uh, but this other way is, you know, it's, it's not a hierarchy. It's literally showing up where one is needed um, in displays of life-giving love. It sort of ties back, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about um, Jesus being the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and then talked about that Jesus's consistent teaching was love God, love neighbor, love yourself. You use the, um, go back and forth between map and maze, you know, and so in some ways it gives us the map, uh, that sense that uh, what has Jesus taught to love God, love neighbor, love self. Okay, so now we're going to follow the way is going to be to, is going towards the kingdom by doing those things, right? Yeah. And I even um, in that chapter talk about, I do talk about mazes, getting lost in a maze. And, um, but it ends in a labyrinth. And so the, the difference between a maze and a labyrinth is always, you know, a maze, you, you don't know where you are and you're not sure how you're going to get out. It's a trap. Um, but a labyrinth, of course, is a, is, a, is a pathway that seems like you're repeating yourself sometimes and you don't know when you're getting out. But it, it's a gentle path and it, it leads in and it leads out and you don't get lost in labyrinths. And so, um, so those two images side by side in that chapter are really interesting. And, and the, that chapter also gives people permission, um, I think, in a really important sense. Because when you move, I, I mentioned that the, the middle two chapters, the really theological ones on Savior and Lord, are about my experience within evangelicalism. Um, and what happened when chapter five opens up is that I had followed 
the wrong way. I had become brainwashed by the hierarchical Lord, Lord stuff. Um, and I accepted it. I mean, I don't want to just take my own agency away. It was, but you know, I, I, I came to believe it and I believed it for particular reasons. And then I got down that path and I saw that it was absolutely um, self-abusive and it was, uh, I didn't like who I had become um, on that path. And so then the question is when you find yourself on the wrong path, even when you have gone on that path, believing you were following Jesus, I mean, I believed it. it was like, my heart was there. I thought that's exactly where Jesus was taking me. Uh, you can make mistakes. And when you, when you realize that you make a mistake, the best thing to do is you turn around and you go back and you find your way over to the right path. And um, I do think that too often when it comes to, to uh, faith, is that when we find ourselves on the wrong path, uh, you know, there's a couple of different options we have. We can blame the path, you know, oh, okay, well, maybe the Jewish path won't do this, or maybe the Muslim path won't do this. I mean, that's okay. You can change, but at the same time, it's like, please don't blame the path. You know, I mean, literally you're, you're the one who got lost. <laughs> and, and so, so then, you know, you blame the path. The other thing is to do is to say, oh, I'm too far down this path. I can't turn around. All my friends are here. My family is here. What am I going to do? I'm the pastor of this church, you know, what have you. Um, I'm on this mission field. I can't change now. I mean, that would be crazy. And so you sort of start burying your doubts, you know, about, about the whole thing. You say, oh, you know, oh, well, it, it'll pass. You know, it's a, uh, I'm just, I'm sticking to it because this is, this is the right path, even though I don't feel like that it's the right path anymore. Um, and then the third option is to, you know, turn around and, and try to find your way out. I just wish more people took that third path that were just willing to say, oh, well, maybe it's not the path's fault. And it certainly isn't emotionally or psychologically or spiritually healthy for me to stay on a path that I no longer trust. And so I need to go a different way, you know, to, to turn around, go a different way and then keep going. That chapter brings out, I think, a lot of dimensions of what it means to, for Jesus to be the way. Just because Jesus is the way doesn't mean that we sometimes don't choose the wrong way and blame it then on him. Yeah, I really felt like, um, as we close out the conversation in this chapter, that it was sort of, you were offering the sense that the way is about risk and wrestling, right? Rather than safety and certitude. <laughs> Oh, beautiful. Those are the actual words I use in the chapter. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, that's what I thought. I was like, you know, okay, so you got risk or wrestling, which is the way that's life-giving, or you could have this sort of safety and certitude, but it's, it, it's going to be a dead end. Right? If, we're, if, we, if our goal is to seek safety and certitude, then it's a dead end. I think the, I think the way can be safe, and there, there's certitudes on the, the way that's risk-taking and wrestling, but if our goal is to seek safety and certitude, then I think the way is going to not then we're not going to be on the Jesus way very long. Um, yeah. And I discovered on the way of safety and certitude, you know, I, cause I really needed those things. And I, I talk about that several places of the book. I discovered it wasn't just a dead end, but it was deadening to me. Mm -hmm. 
even when people might not think it's a dead end, you know, people still holding out hope, you know, oh, I've got to be on this way because I'm going to get to heaven after I die, or I have to be on this way because this is the people who pay my, my, you know, who give me my paycheck. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's not a dead end. There's still stuff, rewards on that path. Um, but for me, it was discovering that I had died that there was part of me that was literally dying when I was on that part of the journey. And I thought, no, this is not, this is, this is not God because there, there was such a lack of love as I got down that pathway that it was almost frightening. It's, I mean, your, your vulnerability of sharing your story is a very powerful witness uh, to that. And I think will give people permission to explore their own, those, their own paths uh, in a way that will be freeing. <laughs> because you share so vulnerably with your own um, struggles around that and discovering, getting, as you said, to turn it around and finding a, a different path. So, yeah. so you, end the, you end the book with the, the God, Jesus's presence. And I think it could sit with this chapter for a really long time. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very, prayer, to me, a very prayerful chapter. And it's just really centered, I think, in the sense of the spiritual reality of, of knowing that you are accompanied by a God who loves you. Um, and that, that that sense that that presence is always with you. Always. Yeah. I, and I, I actually didn't know what to call this chapter. <laughs> I went out to dinner with a friend of mine um, who is wonderful. She is at uh, the Mennonite Seminary in Elkhart, Indiana, or, or Goshen, excuse me, Indiana. And um, I've known her since we were 13 and we're, she said, what are you writing on? I told her and I said, but I just don't know how I think about Jesus right now. And she said, oh, I do. And I said, well, how? And she said, presence, Jesus's presence. And when she said that, I went, oh my gosh, that's perfect uh, for what I'm trying to, because I, I thought of mystery. I thought of wonder. I mean, it was like, I couldn't get my brain around it. And and she came up with this word. And, and so that's what it becomes. And even though it is kind of mystical, it's also in some senses really sort of practical because I don't talk about Jesus just as sort of the inner presence. There is plenty of that, the comforting presence. Um, and there's a lot of that in that chapter because uh, there's there's beautiful, I mean, I can think of writers like Kathleen Norris or Roberta Bondi. There has been some beautiful books um, in the last 30 years, uh, talking about sort of the, the daily life, ordinary, ordinary, beautiful sort of presence of Jesus. And so I kind of, I picked that theme up. I've, I've certainly experienced that. And I read about it in motherhood and birth and bodies and sitting on the front porch in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, but I don't leave it there because the presence of Jesus is comforting, but it is also incredibly challenging. And so as you move into the back parts of chapter six, and then certainly into the conclusion of the book, um, there's this cosmic presence that begins to emerge that challenges just the kind of daily comfort of Jesus in family life or suburban porches or what have you. And um, stuff happens. Uh, <laughs> at the end, where all kinds of unexpected uh, shatterings um, occur. But what's fascinating to me is that the stuff that happens at the end that is outside of what my framework would have been earlier in my life, um, it doesn't upset me. It doesn't sort of throw me off course. It doesn't say, oh my gosh, where is God now? Uh, but it says like, oh yeah, um, 
Jesus is here. Um, Jesus is, is still present, um, even in this, you know, earthquake, even in this uh, moment of, and I, I write about mystery, even in mystery. In some ways, I, I just, uh, I, I hope that you, especially Sandra, that you love it, because it might be the most fully Methodist book I've ever written because it starts in a Methodist Sunday school, sitting in a circle, listening to Miss Jean talk about how Jesus loves all the little children. And it ends in a circle, sitting in a circle at the world's parliament of religions with 20 women, um, 18 of whom aren't even Christians and uh, finding God in both places and everything that happens in between those two circles. <laughs> I have to say, I felt that when I read this book, I thought, oh, this is a really good Methodist journey. Even if you've gone back to our mother church and to the, the Episcopalians, you know, that Methodist rootedness is pretty, pretty deep in this book. So it really, it really is. And it had to be, I mean, it's, it's the taproot yeah. of my whole spiritual experience. Even when I find myself in some real high church, Episcopal church with people waving incense around, you know, <laughs> John Wesley would like that too. What I liked about the, well, the, the presence idea is that you did start with it very bodily. I mean, you talk about, you know, uh, body, bowels, and uh, motherhood, right, and birthing. And so I thought, okay, we don't, sometimes we can think of presence very ethereally, but you plant it pretty firmly in our just lived reality, right, of, of being real, in our bodies and how important right. embodied faith is. And then you open it up, though, still to that sense of mystery, and you, you, you talk about, um, you know, the kind of mystery that that we try to solve as opposed to a mystery that invites us into wonder, into imagination, and you sort of, and you, and you call us to that kind of presence, right? That this presence that is embodied also then calls us to imagine a new world and to, and to participate mm -hmm. uh, with it um, in, the, in the mystery, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think one of my favorite things in that whole, it, maybe in the entire book is the little passage, the, the short passage about the rocks at Ghost Ranch. I don't think I knew that verse until I was writing this section uh, that the, in the Psalms, the, God is the rock who gave you birth. It's like, okay, <laughs> that is not something that I learned in Sunday school. God is the rock who gave you birth. And that is exactly, you know, what you're saying is that it's somehow even the most permanent of things. I, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever winds up being the most intimate of things the and the most you know the, the most sort of bloody and inhuman of things birth and boy that changes you a woman who's ever had a baby birth rips you open in effect that that's god that the rock rips rips us open There's, way too much i can i can put it in a sermon i can write it in a book but it doesn't mean that it doesn't continue to affect me for a long time after the words um come from my pen you know you end um almost the the book with i wanted to sort of read it um because it's such a great um last pair second to last paragraph where you say jesus as mystery is the christian faith's greatest spiritual enigma a human being who is fully god that is what Christianity proclaims, that beyond our wildest imaginings, the ever-creating love of the cosmos made its way into our small, hurting world, living and dying with us and for us, and promises never, never, never to leave us alone. 
Love is in the world and inside of us, dwelling with us even as we dwell in it. That seems like a pretty important invitation to me. If we can free Jesus, that's, that's, that's the way we're invited. That's the presence we're invited to, to know. Um, yeah. I just, I listen to those words and I think, wow, that's beautiful. It's not a, and like I said, it's not complimenting myself. It's, it's just the truth of the thing. Well, as we conclude this, um, these four weeks together, is there any sort of last words that you'd like to, to share? Any last thoughts with our congregation? I would, I would just urge you all to be more confident. Jesus is amazing. And that we remember uh, a, a man who lived 2000 years ago and, you know, for all intents and purposes should have never been remembered. You know, he was poor. He was an oppressed person in a horrible imperial state. He is one of the first names I ever knew. And to me that there's something that's so vast and remarkable about that. I don't want to be afraid anymore of, of sharing that story. We can be more confident in the, in the power of that story. May not be any better uh, ending to an Easter tide than to say, don't be, don't be afraid anymore. Uh, go out and, 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 and share that story because it is worth sharing. Mm -hmm. And it's a life-giving story. Yeah. Diana, thank you so very, very much. It has been an honor to ha have you with us this last month. And uh, we look forward to many more ways in which you are helping to guide us and help us to think uh, and live more faithfully and fruitfully. So thank you. You're welcome. It's been wonderful to talk to you about these things. Let us pray. O oh God, it is in perfect love that you are known. Your love in Jesus has shown us the way to live even amid the brokenness of this world. Empower and enliven your whole church to reflect that love to all of your beloved children. Bless the work of believers everywhere and strengthen our leaders, especially our Bishop Grant and our Superintendent Jim. With all of the district churches today, we pray for your children at San Fernando United Methodist Church and at Oxnard United Methodist Church. O oh God, it is in perfect love that you are known. That love comes to us through others as we form friendships and whenever we work together to bring about your purposes. We give you thanks and praise for the ways that you make your love known to us through families and especially in our mothers. We are grateful for all of those who have nurtured and cared for us, birth mothers, adoptive mothers, surrogate mothers, aunts, grandmothers, teachers, and neighbors, all the women who have shared their faith and hope with us. We also pray today for mothers who have been hurt, disillusioned, or disappointed by parenting. We pray for those who have been denied a longed-for chance at motherhood, and for those whose years of nurturing have been cut short by the loss of a child. God of compassion, send your healing for mother and child relationships that have been broken by violence or abuse or addiction. As we lift those hurts before you, O God, we are also mindful of all the members of the human family around the world 
who today are afflicted or are suffering at this time. Remember, we pray, all who are in need of healing, those who lack bread or shelter, those who live in violent homes and communities, those who are grieving, and those whose needs are known only to you. We pray for all those whose lives are affected by the coronavirus, and we strive to show our love through our prayers for our friends who are facing health challenges this week. Priscilla Baca, Nancy Elrod, Selma Devanathan, and Sue Claire Day's friend, Diane Turif. Comfort all who mourn this day, and we especially lift before you the family of Robert Hardaway as they grieve his passing. O oh God, we give you thanks for Robert's life, and we pray that you will bless the memories of all who now dwell in your eternal light, especially beloved mothers who we see no longer. O oh God, it is in perfect love that you are known. Our love is imperfect, but through caring and praying for one another, we seek to be transformed and to become a blessing. Hear all of these prayers, along with the common prayer that our Savior Christ taught to disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining in this time of online worship today. Remember that you can always return to any of our services at the church's YouTube page. Like and subscribe, and it will help others connect with our online ministry. Today's service is very full, and so there's not much time for many announcements. So it is even more important for you to take a moment and download this week's bulletin. Please use the link that's found in the video description or in yesterday's email. Along with our mass emails, the bulletin is the most important way we have right now of sharing the most up-to-date news with you. I hope you'll join us for a very special online Third at First concert next Saturday at four in the afternoon or anytime thereafter on the church's YouTube page. You'll have a chance to hear the talented young performers who won this year's chamber music competition sponsored by the Junior Chamber Music Organization. We have five high school graduates this year and a parking lot celebration for them is happening next Sunday, May 16th at 6.30 p.m. Come wish them well. Their names and details about the event can be found in this week's e-news and in today's bulletin. Finally, there is an urgent need for blood donations. The next drive at the church is this Wednesday from 10 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. You can sign up online using the link in the e-news and in the bulletin. If you have received a COVID vaccine or are in line to receive the vaccine, you can still donate blood providing that you are feeling fine the day of the blood drive. You may also donate if you've already had COVID but are currently negative. Thank you for continuing to support the church through your tithes and offerings. I encourage you to use the church's online giving website. There is a link in the video description today. While you're at that website, please use it to contribute to the love offering that's being received for Pastor Sandy. June 6th is her last Sunday with us before she transitions to her new role as superintendent of the South District. 
June 6th is less than a month away now, so take a moment and add to this love offering that will help her get established in a new home in the San Diego area. As always, you are welcome to send your donations directly to the church using the U.S. Postal Service. The church's, email, or the church's mailing address is on the screen right now. Take care of yourself this week, and if you can, take care of others too. Get vaccinated if you haven't already, and remember to wear your mask, or at least keep one handy. Receive the benediction. Embrace the prismatic nature of Jesus. Renew your hope in the Jesus you have known. Renew your hope in the Jesus you know now. Renew your hope in the Jesus who will meet you ahead on the road. Amen. <laughs>